It is great to be with you this morning. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to Psalm 36 as we continue our Advent series together this morning. We've been in an Advent series, we started last week, where we're looking at these traditional themes of the Advent season, but we're looking at these themes through different psalms in the Bible. And so last week we looked at hope, this week we're looking at love, next week joy, and the, uh, the week after that we'll be looking at peace. And so last week what we saw was this, is that all things in our world fade. All things fade. Uh, institutions, they rise and they fall. Kingdoms of this world, they rise and they fall. Our very health, it rises and falls. But as Christians, we have built our hope on the one thing that is unfailing. On the one thing that cannot and will not ever fall. That is the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have built our hope on the firm foundation that is Christ, and to build one's hope anywhere else is to build it on sinking sand. Today we turn our attention to this great theme of love. And I don't know about you this morning, but I cannot hear enough that there is a God in heaven right now who loves me. There is a God in heaven who loves you. You know, many of us, when we hear or think about this idea of love, we get excited. I'm reminded last week of Jennifer, or Jennifer, of Tanner telling us the story of Jennifer's grandmother, who loves Hallmark movies, right? And so, you think of people like that, they love the idea of love. But there are some of us in here who have been scarred. Who, When we think about love, it brings up painful Memories. There are some of us in here who maybe had an idea at one time or another of what love might look like or what it should look like, but they've experienced something completely and totally different. Brothers and sisters, wherever you're at this morning, I want you to know this, is that inside of every single one of us, we all long to be truly loved. We were created by a loving God for a loving God. But what you and I need this morning is something bigger than a Hollywood version of love. Something bigger than a fairy tale version of love. You and I need a love that's real. We need a love that's steadfast. We need a love that can rescue us. We need a love that can save us from our sins. A love that can save us from our shame. And that's exactly what we have here this morning in Psalm 36. And so I'm going to go ahead and start reading and then we're going to pray and then jump right in this morning. Psalm 36, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and to do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. And then in verse 5, we have the steadfast love of God that breaks in. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. 
Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, and your judgments, your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you. And your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of the arrogant come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoer lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Let's pray. Father God, would you meet us here in your great love for your church, in your great love for your people, God, would you condescend again. God, would you allow me to get out of the way. And for us to hear priceless and glorious truths once again, Lord, from this portion of your word, I pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this world has a way sometimes of making us feel a little beat up, a little broken. Sometimes it can cause us despair. There may be times when we feel like even giving up. That was certainly true of a man named George Matheson. But it was in the midst of George's greatest despair of his whole life. It was on the eve of his sister's wedding, of all things, that God met him. And that he encountered a single and glorious truth that changed him in that moment and caused him to worship. He would actually go on to write a poem from that. But before I tell you about that single and glorious truth, let me tell you a little bit about what caused his despair to begin with. Because George was born in 1842 in Glasgow, Scotland. Now, George was one of eight kids. He was the oldest of eight. But George had a little bit of a disability when he was born. George was born with very poor eyesight. He could barely see. As a matter of fact, the doctors prescribed him the strongest strength prescription glasses that you could get at that time. But it didn't deter little George too much because George believed that there was a calling upon his life. And that calling upon his life was to preach the good news of Jesus to those who were in Scotland. He believed that's what God had called him to. And so he grew up sitting in the front of classrooms doing everything he could because he wanted to preach the gospel. Well, in his later teens and early 20s, he got some more bad news from the doctor. The doctor told him that his vision was getting worse and that he would soon go blind. There was nothing that the doctors could do. As you can imagine, that caused great despair for George. However, he thought to himself, you know, I have a fiancé who loves me and will take care of me. But as he told his fiancée the news that he was going to go blind, his fiancée told him that she could not marry a blind man. And his fiancée left him. Now George would go on to become a pastor. Matter of fact, he pastored about a 1,500-person church. He was known as the blind pastor in the Church of Scotland. He was able to do so much to the help of his sister, who his younger sister dedicated much of her early life 
to helping him with his day-to-day needs and helping him with church ministry, with parish ministry, and even helping him with writing his sermons. But you see, as typically happens, George's sister fell in love. And on the eve before her wedding, he couldn't help but to think he was being left again. And he didn't know how he was going to go on or how he could survive and continue to do the job that he believed that God had called him to do without a sister who had been by his side to help him all of these years. He was reminded of his first love who left him. He was being left again. But it was in that moment, in that great despair, that George was met with the truth that everyone in the world could leave him. But there was a God in heaven whose love for him was steadfast, who would never leave him, who would never forsake him. It was the simple truth that met him there that day. And that simple truth floored him. It caused him to praise God. And these are the lyrics of a now famous hymn that was a poem at the time by George. Most of you will know it. It's actually in our Trinity hymnal. It says this, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean's depths it flows. May richer, fuller be. He goes on to say, O joy that seeks me through pain, I cannot close my eyes to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and I feel the promise is not vain. That morn, Maybe not this morning, but that morn shall tearless be. George was met by the simple and profound truth. And it calls him to praise God because of God's unfailing, steadfast love for him. Here in Psalm 36, we have the very same thing. Psalm 36 calls us, brothers and sisters, to view God, to look upon his love for us and to praise him because of his steadfast love for for us. But the problem is this. You and I are so prone to forget God's love. We're so prone to to have our focus gaze upon the things of this world and our circumstances and to forget God's unfailing love for us in His Son. My hope for us this morning is that we would see this psalm and see this, this simple yet profound truth with fresh eyes and hear it with fresh ears again this morning. And so there's three things really that I want us to see that we should praise God for his steadfast love for. And the first one is this that we should praise God because of his steadfast love for sinners. Praise God because of his steadfast love for sinners. That's the first uh, the first thing we see in the first four verses here of Psalm 36. Really what we have here in the first four verses is this. We have the human condition Yours and mine condition outside of the steadfast love of God. Before the steadfast love of God breaks through, this is the human heart, the human condition. Brothers and sisters, let me warn you. It's ugly. The human condition is not pretty. It's desperately wicked. That's yours and mine condition. We don't need just a little cleaning up this morning. We don't need just a little bit of medicine to help us get better. We don't need just a little attaboy. The human heart is totally lost without sight of the steadfast love of God. And that's the first thing we see. The first 
thing that we see here in verse 1 is simply this. It tells us that the root or the center of the problem is at the center of us. Look what it says. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. The very first thing we see is that the center of the problem is that the center of us, it's our hearts. This is why the prophet Ezekiel tells us that we need new hearts. We have to have our heart of stone replaced and given a heart of flesh because transgression speaks deep within our hearts. It's the very center of the problem. This is why R.C. Sproul says we fall inwardly before we ever fall publicly. It begins in our heart. Or John Owen, the famous Puritan, says... We must be killing sin, or I'm sure you could finish it, or sin will be killing you. It's the reason why we see these things, but it goes on. It doesn't just tell us about where it begins. He says this, there in the end of verse 1, there is no fear of God before the human condition, meaning this, that in our natural selves, in the human heart, there's no fear of the righteous judgments of God upon us. We don't fear that we've offended a holy God. There's no fear of those things in our natural man. Look at verse 2. It gets worse. It's like there's this doubling down constantly here. Verse 2, we see that not um, not only do we justify our sins, but we're often blind to it. Look what it says. It says, for we for he flatters himself. In his own eyes. Why? So that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. There's this justification. There's this applause in our natural man of our sin. We flatter ourselves in our own eyes. We don't even have any fear of God. And then it doesn't just stay there. It's all of us. It's all of our being that's been affected. Look at verse 3. It's the words of our mouth are trouble and deceit. He goes on to say, our actions, he has ceased to act wisely and to do good. Even our thoughts. Verse 4, when he's laying on his bed, when we're laying on our bed at the end of the day, we're supposed to be contemplating the things of the day, he plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Brothers and sisters, this isn't just a story about an evil person. This is a story about your heart. It's a story about my heart. Um, believe it or not, this may surprise you, believe it or not, my kids, uh, they frustrate me from time to time. Believe it or not, they're awesome, they're up there. They, they frustrate me from time to time. And One of the things that they do that probably frustrates me the quickest and the most is when they not only do things that are unloving towards one another, but when they do things that puts the other one at risk of being hurt. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in my kid's room with one or the other of them, and I'll say to them, Madeline or Oliver, do you know what you did? Yeah, I, I punched my sister, or I hit my brother, whatever it is. I said, yeah. Now, do you know why you did it? Inevitably, what happens is this. They justify it. I don't know if you've ever had kids, it's crazy, right? They justify, well, I hit my brother because it's his fault. He did these things to me and therefore he deserves my just wrath and my punch. She doesn't say it that way, but you get the point. She justifies and I'll say, no, Madeline or Oliver. I'm not calling any one of them out individually. 
said, no, that's not why. Do you know why? And she'll say something similar again, or he'll say something similar again. Yes, because it's their fault. No, it's not their fault. Why do you think? Well, I don't know, Daddy. I give up. Why? They're so blind to it. I said, it's because you have a bad heart. It's because you have a sinful nature. That's the reason why you hit your brother, or that's the reason why you hit your sister. Do you want to know how I know that, Madeline and Oliver? Because Daddy has a bad heart too. This is the reason why I have to come and tell you I'm sorry so often when I get angry. Because the same problem with you is the same problem with me. Is that inside of me, it's ugly. It's wicked. And that's the very first thing we see is outside of God's love for us, it's a desperate and wicked condition. But praise God for His love for sinners. And in verse 5, the steadfast love of God breaks through. The steadfast love of God breaks through. And the first thing that David, our psalm writer, does is this. He tells us to praise God because God's steadfast love is immeasurable. Look what he says in verse 5. He says this, Your steadfast love, O Lord, it extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God, and your judgments are like the great deep. It's as if David's sitting outside in his rocking chair, right? I, there should have been rocking chairs. I don't know if there were or not at that time, but... He's sitting outside and he's looking out. He's looking up at the sky and he's like just in awe of how vast and great it is. And he says, your steadfast love for me is, is like it extends way past the heavens. It's immeasurable. Your, he goes on to say, your faithfulness is like those clouds. Who can reach them? They're so high. They're so above us. Who can reach them? Your judgments, your righteousness is like those mountains. They're great. It's beautiful. Who can understand it, Lord? Your judgments are like the great deep. Who can plumb those depths? You are immeasurable, God. And then he goes on at the end of um, verse 6. He says something so amazing. Something so mind-blowing compared to the first four verses. He says, man and beast, you save, O Lord. He draws this contrast. He shows the chasm between God's love, His love for sinners, His love for His people, and their sin. And the chasm is wide, brothers and sisters. And what is the response? This actually is a chiasm, by the way. If you want to know how I know that, it's because I looked at www.drchristibbets.com and found it. I'm just kidding. I did search on the internet, though, just to make sure this was a chiasma. And I, I didn't want to, I'm not smart enough to find them on my own, unfortunately. But uh, the center of the chiasm, are you ready for it? Here it is. Here it is. How precious is your steadfast love, O oh God? That's it. As he looks at this chasm, as he looks at God's love for him, as he, as he sees this, he see, he's just in worship. Oh God, how precious is your love for us. Who can understand it? It's immeasurable. Your love for sinners. He is just absolutely blown away at this great chasm in which has been crossed by the love of God to rescue, to save him. It's amazing. 
It reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Because I'm sure as you remember, there the son goes to the father and he asked the father, he said, Dad, would you hurry up and die? I'm ready for my inheritance. That's basically what he says. Dad, I want my money. I'm ready to go. Give me my inheritance. And the dad actually agrees. He says, okay, take your inheritance and go. And so the prodigal goes and he spends his inheritance on wild and loose living, is what the text tells us. He goes and blows all the inheritance away, and then he finds himself one day eating like pigs eat, because he's lost it all. And he remembers that in his father's house there are servants that are eating better than him. And so in his great humility, he goes back to the father. He thinks to himself, if I can just not be a son anymore, but just be a slave in my father's house, at least I can have some bread. At least then I can eat. But what does the father do? When he sees his son coming, he runs after his son. He kills the fattened calf. He throws a party. The love of the father for this lost son. What does he say? This son of mine who was lost is now found. Imagine, if you were that prodigal son, that the love of that father has just shown you after you literally told him and walked away from everything that he was. And yet God's great love, even for the prodigal, even for you, even for me, Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 8, says it a little differently. In Romans 8, 35, it says this. How great is the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed All the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is immeasurable towards us. And that is exactly what we see here this morning. And that really brings me to my very last point of our text. The last thing we see here is that we must praise God because of His steadfast love for us in Christ Jesus. Praise God because of His steadfast love for us in Christ Jesus. Now you may ask, Patrick, this is Psalm 36. Where do you see Jesus? I don't see Jesus anywhere in my Bible. What, you got a different version up there? Well, behold the Lamb of God even here in Psalm 36. Look what it says starting in the second part of there, verse 7. Right after that, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. Right after the center of our chiasm. It says this. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Well, how do we do that? 
how do we take refuge in the shadow of your wings? Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you that refuge. I will give you rest. It is my wings in whom you should come under, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So how is it that mankind takes refuge in the shadow of your wings? It's through his son, Jesus Christ. Look, he goes on. Verse 8, they feast on the abundance of your house. How do we do that? And, on, and you give them drink from the rivers of your delight. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me should never hunger. And whoever believes in me would never thirst. I am the fulfillment of what you read here. For with you is the fountain of life, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of, of, uh, fountain of life. In Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17, this is right after uh, we learn that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It says this. It says, the Spirit of the Bride says, come. Jesus says, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He is the fulfillment of these things. He goes on to say, in your light do we see light. Again, John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then our, our, um, our psalm concludes in verses 10 through 12 with this prayer. David gives this prayer. He says, oh, continue. Your steadfast love is so great. Continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of the arrogant come upon me. It's this, it's this prayer of God's love to continue in his life. Nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoer lay fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. As I was preparing um, to share with you Psalm 36, I was reminded of a story I um, read about and watched a, a video on so many years ago. It was about a man from Jacksonville. His name is Ike Brown. Now, Ike was a police officer in Jacksonville, and he had a tragedy in his family. Ike's son, his only son, was the victim of a random murder. And so Ike lost his only son. Now, as you can imagine, he was devastated. And uh, as the trial ensued, as the, as the first time he sees the, the person who killed his son, as he walks through the door, the, 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 the video and his testimony, he speaks at churches all around now, but the testimony is this, that he thought to himself, I'm going to hate this guy. Like, I'm going to get him. He got me, I'm going to get him one day. That's his testimony. But when he walked through the door, I won't say his name, but when he walked through the door, he said, everything changed for him. He said when he walked through the door, he automatically loved him. The guy that killed his son, he loved him. How is that possible? 
He said when he saw the man, he saw himself. He saw his own great needs. He saw himself. Now as the trial went on, he sat there and went through the trial. The only thing that Ike Sr. did was really just ask that they don't give him the death penalty. He didn't want him to have the death penalty. He was sentenced to either three or five life sentences in prison. I can't remember now uh, which one it was. But he would never get out of jail. Well, time went on, and Ike thought a lot about that man. Time went on, and he thought to himself, you know what, I want to write a note to him. But he said that he used to write notes, and then he would crumple them up and throw them away, because he couldn't get himself to send it to him. Well, one day he made the commitment to just write a note and to send it to him. And in that note, he said this. He said, I want to let you know that it's been hard without my son. But I want you to know that you've been in my prayers. I want you to know that I miss my son every day, but I also want you to know about the love of God. He said, would you be willing to step in for my son? Would it be okay if you became my son and I became your dad? This man wrote him back with these words. Dear Mr. Brown, I now know that God is real. I told God that if I ever heard from you, I would give my life to him all the days of my life. He said, you asked me a favor. This was the favor he asked, what I just told you. He said, you asked me a favor if I could fill in for Ike Jr. He said, I'm not qualified, but if you'll have me from this point on, you're my dad and I'll be your son. Now, why would you ever adopt your son's killer? Because it's what Jesus did for him. That was his story. You see, God had adopted Ike. And Ike's sin was his son's killer. And it was that truth that floored him and that awoken this man to the love of God. Brothers and sisters, my hope is that we would praise God because of his steadfast love for you and his son. Let's pray. Father, as I said earlier, I can't get enough. Because the reality is, I need a love that can rescue me. I need a love that can forgive me and walk alongside of me when I am unlovable. And God, there's no love like that in this world except for the love that you give. And so, King Jesus, may we be floored, may we praise you for your great love, and may that love shape and mold us to love others just the same, just in the same way that Ike was willing to adopt his own son's killer because of your great love. May we be those who are floored by that love and are moved by it to reach out to the world. Pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.